voice toward us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can go. Thanks for that. Praise God. We're going to come around the Word this morning, and uh, we'll have communion at the end today uh, before we finish, and uh, we'll have time for a tea and coffee and a hot cross bun or something like that up there, if you're, if that's okay. Praise God. How are you going? You all good? Praise God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning to our hearts. And I thank you, Lord God, for the freedom that we have in Jesus today. That we can come and meet together. And Lord, we can stand before you as your children. And we can acknowledge you as our Father. And I pray... Lord, today that you'll speak personally into each one of our hearts and reveal something more of your heart and of your grace toward us today. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to share with you this morning about the subject of freedom. And, you know, um, the, the Bible is, is uh, the definitive piece of literature on the subject of freedom. It describes exactly what freedom really is, what it means, and how to, uh, how to accomplish being free, how to get free in your life, and how to stay free in, in our life. And, you know, a lot of people have uh, tried to um, write other things or tried to emulate that, but nothing even comes close to the Bible when it comes to helping us understand what it means to be free. One of the um, most noteworthy attempts by other people to talk about freedom was... Um, about 250 years ago, the, the very young, fledgling nation of America was trying to break free from uh, the British crown. And uh, they came together, the 13 states of America in those days, and they wrote this document where they described all the problems they had with the, the fact that they were under the, under the thumb of the, of the British government and King George III. And they said there was 20, 27 reasons why they thought they should break away from that. And you might uh, remember some of this, the wording of this. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, which obviously they felt they weren't at that point, um, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And a bit later on, this, a bit later on it says, the document says, that these united colonies are, are, and as of right, ought to be free and independent states. Of course, that went over like a lead balloon back in the palace in London. And, uh, of course, it caused all kinds of a stir uh, after that. But this document, the, the Declaration of Independence, was really just an echo of what God's heart for us was. God's plan for us was to be free people, to live in freedom. I know we can talk about democracy and all that sort of stuff. That's not where we're heading today. But Freedom has always been in the heart of God for us to be a free people in our hearts and that we should be free to be everything He wanted us to be. Now, I, I love this scripture in Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And uh, when you just think about that, 
how big was the Garden of Eden? Well, we don't know how big it how big it was, but since God planted the garden, I imagine it would have been pretty substantial. And God is saying to Adam, "All of this amazing stuff, it's all yours. Everything you want, you are free to do. Eat of every tree of the garden. Just don't touch that one over there, right there." You know, we have this propensity, don't we, to to want to have secret knowledge in the know. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, that sounds pretty good. I might want to. I might want to take some of that. It's about like the wet paint sign, isn't it? If there's something you're not allowed to do, you just you're really drawn to it, isn't it? That's right. But God's heart for freedom, um, it was, you know, demonstrated when in in the life of Jesus. And one day he encountered a, a sick woman that was was bent over with. You know what a spirit of infirmity it says for eighteen years, and says so she'd been crippled by that. And he said to her, "Woman, you are set free from your infirmity." And she was. And of course, he set many people free from all sorts of other things, demonic oppression over their lives, and all kinds of things. But this morning, what I want to do is just share with you for a few moments some ways to find freedom in Jesus. And I'm trusting that some of this is this is relevant to to us all here today. I believe that. Every one of us in this room uh, can find more freedom and know more freedom than we really have in our life. And really, it's all because of the work of the cross that we've just been singing about. Jesus made available freedom and absolute freedom for each one of us. And I want to share with you some little stories from the Bible which describe people who tried to find freedom in their own way, but it never really worked. And... Uh, what happened, how God led them, and they found freedom in Jesus. So I just want to share these little stories with you um, this morning. The first one is about a wealthy farmer, very, very well-to-do farmer, who had a couple sons, and and, uh, one of the sons, um, you know, he thought that he could do better, you know, on his own, being away from the farm. And, And so even though he was an heir to the to the fortune, his father's fortune, uh, it, he could have had it all. The son could have had everything he wanted, but he wanted it now. Instead of waiting till the right time, he said, I want it now. So he took the cash, got on the first plane out of town, and landed in Party Central. Now, it's important we know here that God's not against parties. God loves a good party, actually, But this wasn't really a good party because it was all about the son. It was all about everything he wanted. And in the process of that, he took a lot of other people down a path that they didn't really want to go. And and a lot of people would have been hurt in the process. So it wasn't long before the son ended up, the cash was gone, the money was gone. And surprise, surprise, so were all of his friends that came around at that time. And so he found himself um, doing work experience on a pig farm, which for a, a Jewish boy was wrong on every count. It was just wrong on every count. And uh, he came to himself, it says, and he, and he said, what am I doing here? He was starving. He wasn't getting paid. It was, he was starving. How many people are brave enough to own up to watching that SBS show called Alone Australia? Anyone here? It's a... Uh, it's interesting. If you like slow TV, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's about camping out in the, in the wilderness on your own in a remote location and just seeing what happens. And Anyway, so, uh, you know, uh, these people, they are saturated with, with the rain and uh, 
haven't eaten for days and everything's wet, everything's going wrong. And so it's pretty easy to get on the phone and say, get me out of here. I don't want to be in this place any longer. And so that's what it was like for this young guy. Uh, He was just sick of it and he wanted to go home. And he thought to himself, in my father's house, the the farmhands, they've got everything they need right there. They're far better off than I am right now. And he started the long journey back home to his father. So here's here's the thing. This son had to learn, the wayward son, had to discover some things. He had to discover what freedom wasn't. And freedom was not the power to do everything that he wanted. It was not living without boundaries. He, he tried that. It didn't work. It was not escaping from reality. You know, all these things that he tried seemed good at the time, but they actually led him further and further down a path toward bondage and despair and poverty, and it just didn't work out for him. So he tried those things. He had to learn this, that freedom is actually knowing who your father is. And of course, he grew up in that home with, with his loving father, but he never really knew the father. And I don't think the son was smart enough to figure this out. But in actual fact, what happened when he went away from home and the day he came back, sort of, I can imagine him trudging up the track. You know, he flew out probably first class, but on the way back, he had to walk. And he comes up walking up the track and the father's watching from a long way off. And he runs towards him and he embraces him. And he said, my son, you're home. You're home. It's awesome. And I don't think the father, the son really knew this in advance. But what was happening is it was a bit of a test for him because he proved that the father's love was unconditional. And the father didn't care about how he smelled. Didn't care about the fact that he'd wasted his inheritance. He didn't care about anything. He just said, my son, you are home and I love you so much. I love what it says in John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what did Jesus say? He said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we get to know Jesus, when we get to know the heart of God, we know who our Father really is, and we get to understand the unconditional love of God. I want to tell you, friends, it changes everything. You begin to understand what freedom really is within the bounds of what the Father has got for us. It is awesome to know the freedom that God has for us when you know the Father's heart for you. You know the Father's heart that He has for you. Before that, this wayward son had been just following an illusion. An illusion. He, he had to learn that the Father was fundamentally for him. That the Father was in his corner. The Father was absolutely for the Son. And you know one thing, I, as I read this story, um, it just impresses me that the father didn't run out to meet the son because the son had changed his life. Now, sure, he'd come back from the far country and he'd realized how bad it was there. And, uh, but the Bible doesn't tell us when you read this story, you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 15. It doesn't say that the son came back because his conscience was pricking him and he knew he'd done the wrong thing. It actually says there that it was his stomach that brought him back more than his conscience. He's saying, I'm hungry. I'm starving in this place. Oh, I've got to get out of here. And my father's hired servants have got more than I have right now. So let's not think that it's our 
our, our goodness or our good intentions that lead us back to God. The Bible actually says that it's His goodness that leads us to a place of repentance, that leads us back to Him. And that's what I love about that. There's a strong argument that it actually wasn't His conscience at all. It was His stomach. So second thing, the son had to learn who the father really was, and then he had to learn who he really was. Knowing who you are helps you to be free in God. And it's only when the son began to realize that he had an identity, that he was his father's son, that he be, then he had the authority to overcome the pull of the world, trying to pull him back into that system, the pull of the past. I'm going to read you from Romans chapter 6, and it says this. So since we're out from under that old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want since we're free in the freedom of God? Can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. And that's what the son had experienced. He thought that he was free, but actually his freedom was being destroyed the whole time. And he ended up in bondage and poverty and despair and destruction. But when we let God rule in our heart and rule in our life, we have absolute freedom in Him. Amen. The second um, thing about freedom, the second little story I want to share with you is about another young guy um, in the New Testament. And uh, so it's about the Apostle Paul. Uh, you read, read this story in the book of Philemon, actually, which is towards the, the back of the New Testament. And so the Apostle Paul finds himself in jail. He's in Rome. He's in jail. And he meets another young man who's running away from reality. And he meets this young guy called Onesimus. Somehow, Onesimus was a slave and he had escaped from slave. He'd run away from his owners and um, uh, probably stole money from them because he found his way to Rome. It would have been costly to get there. He was living in, in Colossae, which is in, uh, in Turkey. And so, uh, but he, he found his way to Rome. And somehow or other, Paul met with him. He, he met up with Paul somehow. Paul was in, in prison. And uh, Paul leads him to Jesus and then starts to disciple him as, as you do, which was incredible. And uh, Paul pretty soon learned that uh, this young guy, Onesimus, was from a place where Paul had been previously. Paul had been in Colossae. And, and in fact, not only that, um, Onesimus's former slave master was a friend of Paul's. What an incredible situation that was. In a city hundreds of miles away, they met each other and Paul um, found out that the person he was, the, the young slave was running away from was Paul's friend. So straight away, Paul's got a conflict of interest. It's a classic dual relationship scenario. He's discipling this young guy and he's teaching him about the ways of God and the heart of God for him and and what, what God's best plan for him is. And he knows that um, really the, the right thing to do, the only thing to do is he's got to send Onesimus back to face his past, to face the music. The only problem is that when you're in a Roman jail, as Paul was, they didn't feed you. Uh, they didn't look after you. Like there was no air conditioning thermostat on the wall to turn, turn the button on. And there was no knock on the door with your, you know, your food that arrives three meals a day. You, you know, if you didn't have family, if you didn't have friends, you probably were going to die of starvation. Because you had to have people that were going to bring food to you and, and look after you 
And that's, so, so here's Onesimus, and Paul is saying, I need this guy here. I need someone to help me to, to go and get me some food. But he says to himself, I know, for his sake, as a young disciple of Jesus, I've got to send him back. So he writes a letter to his old friend Philemon, and he gives it to Onesimus. And in the letter he says, I met this young man who I later discovered was your slave, your, your servant, and I'm sending him back because he needs to go back and face his past. See, in, in Rome, slavery, which is abhorrent to us, but it was actually not just part of their culture, their economy was based around this. And so it was a, a criminal offense for a slave to escape from home. So that's why, or let's call him a servant, in the, it just sort of works better in our mindset. Um, so uh, Paul knew he had to send him back. And so he handwrites this letter, and it's going to be delivered to Onesimus, by, to Philemon, by the hand of his former slave. You can imagine how Onesimus would have felt. He's, he's, he's walking up the driveway to uh, his, the house where he was formerly an indentured servant. We'll call it a slave. He's got the letter in his hand and he wants Philemon to read the letter first. Because Paul is saying in this letter, he's saying, um, Anesimus, I want you to receive, Philemon, sorry, I want you to receive him back, not now as just a, a servant, but now as a, as a brother in Christ, in, in faith. Here's the point of this whole story, friend, is this. Sometimes to find freedom in our life, we've got to go back and face up to the things in our past that we escaped from. Sometimes we need to do that. Onesimus, I don't believe, would ever have gone back unless the freedom in his heart that he'd found as a follower of Jesus was greater than the possibility of going back to an indentured, you know, servanthood type of arrangement that he would have to go back into. He'd found freedom in his heart. Friends, that's the most important thing. When you've got Jesus on the inside and you know you are free in your heart, that's more important than anything else to have that freedom on the inside. The other thing about it is that he now had a new identity as a follower of Jesus, a new identity in Jesus. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to keep carrying around my old identity, say, well, you know, I've been hurt or, you know, I've been, I've been wounded by my past. I've been abused in the past. I've had this happen to me. I've had that. You know, there comes a time when you're a follower of Jesus that you've got to start saying, who I am right now is who God is making me to be. To be. And I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of the King. I've got royal blood in me right now because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I've got to start declaring that. Sometimes you've got to put a stake in the ground and you've got to say, from now on, that's who, I'm, that's who I am. That's who I'm going to be. And that's what Onesimus was saying. From now on, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And of course, he had, they had to work out the arrangement um, that they had uh, with his former um, employer, so to speak. Made me think of a, a story. I heard a, a, a pastor friend who's an American guy um, shared this some years ago, and it was in a closed group of other pastors, so he, he wasn't. Uh, giving too much of his personal life away, but it was a personal story from his life, and it was about him and his wife actually. And um, he, he himself was um, had grown up with a great Christian heritage, and you know was a very open, 
friendly, very sanguine kind of a guy, you know, very, very likable kind of a guy, very open. And, and yet his wife was, uh, she, she struggled with relationships a little bit and was, was much more reserved and, and quiet. And after they'd been married about, I think, 13 years, and, he, and, and she disclosed to him, she said, you know what, As I was abused repeatedly as a child, really quite badly. And he said to her, why, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? He said, well, she said, well, I thought you wouldn't love me. You know, but she just loved, she, he, he just loved her all the more because of that. And, and he used to he say to himself, the only people, the only reason people don't love me is because they don't know me. Anyone who, anyone who gets to know me is going to love me. And she was saying, the only, the only reason people did love me is because they didn't know me. In other words, if they really found out what I was really like, they wouldn't love me anymore. That's what she used to think. And so often we can carry around the things in our past that drag us back or that, that trigger our past, that take us back to the way it was as a child or the way things used to be. And Jesus came, the Bible says, to set the captives free. He came to set us absolutely free. He came to set you absolutely free in your life from whatever has happened in the past. Sometimes the pain of those things can linger on, things we've been through in our past. But Jesus came to set us, each one of us, you and me, absolutely free in our lives. The last story I want to share with you this morning um, is from from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And it's about a a woman. um, Jesus one day was... um, was in the temple teaching and there was people all around and, and it says that the, the, the religious people, uh, um, the religious teachers and so on, they brought in, they, they brought in this woman who was, uh, they say, as, as they said, uh, caught in, in an act of adultery, as, as they said. And so uh, in, in the Jewish law, that was something that was punishable by death. And so they said to Jesus, uh, they said, well, Jesus, in the, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned. In other words, throw stones at her until she died. That's what it used to be in the old, under the old system. And so, but what, but what do you say, Jesus? What do you say about this? And they were actually trying to capture him or snare him in some kind of a trap. I don't know how much they really cared about the woman. I think they were more than anything trying to just snare Jesus in some kind of a trap. So this is what Jesus did. It says he bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. But they kept at him, badgering him. And he straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Well, this this would have done their head in because if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, where it talks about this, it's very, very clear that in all of these cases, there had to be official witnesses. And the witnesses had to be the first ones to throw the stone because they are the ones that took responsibility for this judgment. And so uh, after that, everyone else could get on board and throw the stone. That's why it says the stone, not a stone, the stone. That means the first stone, the significant one that was thrown by the witnesses. That's what it means. And so um, after that, the next, the next scripture says, hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. 
And the woman was left alone with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. And he said these most amazing and wonderful words. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. And from now on, don't sin. And it's so strategic, this verse of Scripture. Because Jesus is just saying, you know, yes, yes, that sin is it's significant, but I didn't come, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. In, jo- in John 3, verse 17, the next scripture says this, I didn't come to condemn the world, but my Father sent me here to save the world, so that the world can be saved through him. So Jesus looks at us in our sin, and our, his heart goes out to us, and he's not there to condemn us, but to save and to restore and, and bring that restoration. So often we get this around the other way and we say to people, when you stop sinning, I'll stop condemning you. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Go and, sin. and it's so important we get that in the right order, folks. It's not our job to condemn people. It's our job to reach out and love people and bring the good news. And mate, I was thinking about this just recently, about the good news of salvation, how important it is that we, our hearts are full of the good news of salvation, the good news about Jesus, because it's so strategic if we can get that in our hearts. You know, we can see it in the, we can see this in the, the response of the, the, the wayward son's father. You know, he, he never went out and, um, to, to meet the son, and he said to him, you know, the, the, he never gave him a lecture about what was wrong and, you know, why it was about time he came back. There was none of that. He never said, you know, son, go and take a bath, and when you're ready, we'll talk about some things for the future. He never said any of that. He just threw his arms around the son and welcomed him in spite of everything wrong with the son. He just loved him at that point, right there at that moment. And I think Jesus was showing us what's in the heart of the Father right there. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. I read about a slave auction. I know we're talking about slaves a little bit this morning, but a slave auction. Slavery is a massive worldwide problem, even in our own country, sadly. But there was a slave auction one day, and a young an attractive girl was being offered there as a slave, being sold one day. And uh, the bidding was keen. Eventually, there were only two men left. And uh, one was a, an uncouth sort of individual that swore with every bid that he made for this young slave girl. And there was another quiet, refined man that was also bidding. And eventually, uh, the quiet man won the bidding and... Uh, uh, the papers were given to him of ownership, this slave auction. And the girl was pushed toward her new master with hate, hatred in her eyes. And, and uh, all of a sudden, things changed. And she saw this man, and, and he had the papers, and he was tearing them up. He was tearing up the papers. And he said to her, my dear, I bought you so I could free you. I bought you so I could free you. And she said to him, I'll gladly serve you. Because she knew he was someone who would love unconditionally. And 
her. That's what God does for us. That's what he does for us. That's what freedom really is, knowing that we are loved by our Father and knowing who our Father is and knowing the heart of our Father and knowing our relationship and our connection with him and knowing that we've been set free from him. Sometimes we, we hear those voices of condemnation in our mind, in our, in our hearts, that little voice that says you're not worthy. You know, you deserve what's coming to you. You deserve everything that's everything wrong that's happening to you right now. You've got to learn to deal with and cut off those condemning voices because then you know that Jesus doesn't condemn us. Then we can do that. We can say, well, I don't need to listen to those voices of condemnation any longer in my heart. I want to read to you another scripture this morning and uh, as we come around the Lord's table uh, for communion. But what I'd like to do, I wonder, can we stand uh, in, in the Lord's presence? I know there's not a huge crowd of us here this morning, but what I'd like to do is uh, I, I would just like it if we could all um, um, I know we often at the end of uh, a service, we will often uh, ask people if they'd like to come to the front for prayer, but what I would like this morning is if we could uh, all, to the extent that you can uh, uh, maybe come out to the front, because I, I would like us to just uh, as we come around the Lord's table this morning, to uh, uh, just and, and we have our, our people with the communion emblems. If you can just come down near the front. Um, anyway, it'll, it'll work out. Yeah, that'll be fine. If you just want to come, come to the front, folks, because I, I, I would like us all to gather around in this moment and acknowledge and just recognize that our freedom is in Jesus. Our freedom is found in Him and Him alone. And wherever you're at today, no matter what situation is going on in your own heart right now, I, I want you to open, open up your heart to God and say, God, I just want to be free in you. I want to be 100% free in you. And as we, in a moment, we're going to uh, take these little emblems of the Lord's broken body and of His shed blood and acknowledge that it was His death on the cross that made possible our salvation and our freedom and our deliverance and our joy, and our hope, and our purpose, and everything that we have in Him. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. We could talk about that, couldn't we, quite a bit? <laughs> or not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. These things are not the main point. He says, For these rules are only shadows, rules from the Old Testament, are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ Himself is that reality. So that's what we've got to be focusing on, the person and the work of Jesus. That's where it's at, folks. That's the reality that we build our lives on today. Not upon getting your diet right, you know, or getting your, you know, making sure that, you know, you do things on a certain holiday or a certain day of the week. or It's not about those things necessarily. I, I know we will, we will talk a little bit about the value of taking a day off sometimes to, to, to rest. Now that, that's right through the Scripture. That's sure there's a lot of value in that. But the Bible also says for one person it's this day, for another person it's another day. Whatever day you pick, just make sure you take some time to rest. I'm not looking at anybody here when I say this now. Because I know we're all busy. I'm a pretty busy person too. But 
You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan to deal with the world's sin problem. And here's the thing, here's the thing about it, and to do it himself. God said, this world is such a messed up place. I've got to, I've got to fix this sin problem and I need to do it myself because no one else was going to do it. In fact, no one else was able. No one else could. No one else could do it. When you read the Old Testament, the Bible, you read there that a long, long time ago, we know the story of the Passover when God delivered His special people, Israel, out of their bondage and slavery and brought them to Himself. We know that story about the Passover, but 500 years before that, God arranged a very special, a miracle baby to be born to a very, very old couple called Abram, Abraham and Sarah. A very special baby. You can imagine how they loved that child, Isaac. How they loved their child. They were in the, at the very end of their lives when he was born. And, and it was there'd been a promise that they'd had for so long. And, and eventually the promise came. And God said to them, this child will be the beginning of a great nation. Then one day, one of the strangest things happened because God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and take him to a place, a mountain that I'm going to show you and offer him there as a sacrifice to me. How weird is that? They're already at the end of their life and the child was born as a miracle baby. And now God says, I want you to give it all away. So to keep in mind that child sacrifice was common in those days. Horrible, horrible. Our minds can't, we can't get our head around it. But in those days, it wasn't uncommon. Why would God do that? I can imagine Abraham was freaked out by that. Anyway, now they're climbing the mountain, Abraham and Isaac. And God says to him, well, Isaac says to his father, you know, where, you know, we've got the fire, we've got the wood for the, for the burnt offering, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says these amazing words. He said, my son, God will provide himself. A lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went on together to the top of the mountain. And friend, it's always been God's plan to provide himself as a sacrifice for the sin of humanity and to bring us to that place of freedom with him. And I love that thought. God will provide himself a sacrifice, an offering. I can't save myself. And none of us here can save ourselves. Only God can do that. So why don't we close our eyes right now. And I, what, I want, what I want this morning, friends, if you can just reach out to God in your own heart. And whatever your situation you're facing this morning, whatever area you feel or know that you are constrained in, I want you to know that God came to bring freedom in our hearts within the boundaries 
that he has for us, that he has set for us, there is absolute freedom. There's absolute freedom in, in what God has provided for us. Hallelujah. Jesus, I want to thank you this morning that you made possible complete freedom for us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you this morning, Lord God. Hallelujah. As we just take these little emblems of the Lord's broken body and of his shed blood, why don't you reach out to God today and thank him for your freedom. And if you need to break through in some particular area of your life, why don't you just reach out and say, God, touch me right now. I need to be free in you. I need to be 100% free in you today. I know that you've made freedom possible to me through the work of the cross. Lord, I want your freedom right now in Jesus' name. Just to take these little emblems together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wonderful, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you for your work in our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your work that you've uh, done in our lives this morning. Lord, you brought us to this point by your grace. Thank you, Lord, that each step you are taking us and leading us, the next step and the next step. I thank you, Lord God, for freedom for my brothers and sisters here right now today. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, an establishment. Lord, that you are doing a supernatural work in each life, in each heart, Lord God. Lord, freedom from fear, freedom from bondage, freedom from anxiety, freedom from uh, frustration, freedom from poverty, Lord God. Freedom from the things that bind us. We are free in your name today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want you to reach out your hand to him right now and thank him. And thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. We're going to sing this song, Your Love Poured Out on the Cross. Why don't we just sing that last part? You opened a way. It is enough for me. Uh, Jesus, you opened a way for me uh, to come right into your presence this morning.